We are uh, doing a series this fall on Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, the first one we have. He wrote to them before this letter. We don't have the record of that other than in this book. And I'm calling this series the Not-So-Great Letters, not because they're not beneficial and incredibly um, important to the Christian life, but the circumstances surrounding why they're written are not great. And if you're familiar with chapters 5 and 6, the scripture that I'm going to read for the scripture that I'm going to then uh, read after I pray is not the juicy bits of 5 and 6. But we're going to come back to those in the sermon, so don't you worry. You're going to literally watch me age before your eyes. It'll be fun. In chapter 5, I'm going to read verses 6 through 9, and chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Let me pray first. Father, we ask that you bless the reading, the hearing, and the preaching of your word. Jesus, we thank you for your work, which saves. Holy Spirit, we praise and thank you for your guidance and comfort, which are good. Amen. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Chapter 6, verse 1. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. So the metaphor that I read from chapter 5 is because there's a wild case of immorality going on in the church, and they know it, and they're proud of it. And Paul is, um, in, re- in written form, his head's exploding. I should have a picture of that meme of the, you know, the, the head exploding that you all use all the time. Is it a gif? Yeah, it's probably a gif. Not a jif, a gif. Listen to what he says. It's actually, this is verse 1 of chapter 5, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. That's Bible for what? And what Paul is bothered by is it's not, they know it. They're not acting sad about it, which is what Christians do when we see our friends harm themselves and their community through their actions. And they're proud of it. As best I can tell, because we know some things very clearly and other things we don't, a young man was shacking up in all the ways with his stepmom. And they're sitting in church, and she's probably a big financial benefactor of the church, and the church was proud to be so okay with everything that they were just welcoming them and continuing to accept their leadership. And Paul's like, What? And it's fascinating if you compare his language here with the end of chapter 6 where some people in the church 
were going to prostitutes. And his language with them is gentle and instructive. And I think it had to do with his sense of people who know better and people who don't. Those did not know better, and yet the immorality that he talks about in verses 1 through 9, they knew better. So, not such a great letter in terms of the circumstance that warranted its writing. And Paul's going to say three times in chapter 5 that for the sake of that man's soul, you actually need to remove him from the church. And I have so many questions And we know that Paul has been to Corinth. We know he's written to them. We know that they've written to him. And he's received an oral report back about how they're doing and these these things that they're allowing. And by the way, when Paul says pagan, he doesn't mean that in a derogatory way. He had not seen Dragnet, where they were described as people against goodness and normalcy. That's not what he means. He simply means people whose faith is not in Jesus. It's not a derogatory. It's just a descriptive term. If their faith is in Jesus... Don't act this way. Even those whose faith is not in Jesus would say that this is wrong. Very wrong. For all sorts of reasons that overlap not just the sexual immorality, but the greed. One of the things we don't know is where her original husband was. He might be dead. I just found this out. When I've always studied this passage, I assumed he was in the room because Paul is so upset. We actually don't know. And the reason I tell you that is there are things that we learn from reading the text and from studying it and from using other resources, and there are things that we don't. And all of those things, in my opinion, help us show the trustworthiness of the scriptures because there's so much that we do know. The reason that Paul says he needs to be removed from the church is because it gives him the best chance to actually learn that he was harming the community and to repent. We do some form of this all the time within the church, not kicking people out of the church. In our denomination, there is a four-step process wherein if someone is caught in sin, you sit with them and say, we love you and nothing will ever change that. You need to stop. I've never seen beyond step three. The fourth step would be removing them from the church. If you want to know more about that, we have position papers. We have a book of government and a constitution of the denomination. I like talking about it because I'm thankful to be in a denomination with accountability, and I don't like talking about it because your stories weigh on me. I long for you to have a joyful life, and yet I know in this world we will have troubles, both the kinds that have nothing to do with our decisions and those that have a lot to do with our decisions. It is the most challenging thing about being an elder here. Though I'm a teaching elder, I serve alongside ruling elders. And the most challenging thing is sitting with people and asking them to live a life in keeping with repentance. And the finances. I'm just kidding. So the church needed cleansing. And it was not only from the sin... of this man and this woman. It was of their pride of how okay with them this all was. And we don't know how long it had been going on. We don't know how much money she was giving. I'm so glad I don't know. Do you know I don't know how much you give? I'm so glad. Because it would trick me, or it would tempt me the way that the Corinthian church was tempted to treat differently. I'm relieved. There are people that know that's how come you get the letters, but I don't know, and it's great. 
And they were proud of how accepting they were. And Paul is saying, no, that's not what Christians do. Christians are sad, and then they're willing and able to correct one another. Not because any of us is without sin, but because we actually care for one another. And so when we're harming ourselves and others, which all sin does, we step towards one another. The metaphor that I read to you explains how unrepented of sin affects the whole community. And it's made worse if we're proud of it. And this is such a tension because we want to welcome any human. And yet, if you say you're a follower of Christ, and if you join this church, and we find out whatever, we're going to sit with you and ask that you consider a lifestyle in keeping with repentance. It's fun um, how many visitors there were in our 9 o'clock service and in, our ten o- in this service. You're going to learn uh, that I try to not shy away from the hard teachings in the scriptures. And every time that the scriptures reference either a vice or a virtue, a list of sins and, and a description of the righteousness of the with God life, those things are comprehensive. So the fourth commandment is Sabbath. And if you read the Sabbath commandment, you suddenly have all these questions. But the Bible is expecting you to work those out over time through studying the scriptures in community and in prayer. What does it mean to work six days and rest one? When the Bible says honor your father and mother, if you did not have a perfect upbringing, you're like, what does that mean exactly? Because it's a comprehensive command. The sixth command, do not murder, is not simply do not take the life of another. It is care for those you come across. The seventh commandment, do not commit adultery, is not simply if you're married, you're not supposed to hook up with someone else who is married. That's a semantic reading of it, not a comprehensive reading of it. And I say that because we have some very challenging verses here that I'm going to read slowly, and you're going to have a lot of questions And I'm going to answer some of them. And we can talk more about this. I'm in chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. And the reason Paul gives this specific vice list is it links together all the problems that were happening in the Corinthian church. The lack of unity that Corey and Jeff preached on um, the last few weeks and also some other problems between favoritism with rich and poor and sexual immorality, which was having all sorts of problems at the same time and greed. Paul sees them as interrelated. Chapter 6, verse 9, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. I believe that when we open the Bible and there are challenging verses, we're not supposed to ignore them. So now we're going to focus on swindlers. I know, not a good time for a joke. Let me tell you what is so very challenging about this topic. 
It's not that it's 2022. It's that there are three pretty clear sides. And the problem with the three-sided argument is each side says that the other two sides are very harmful. I've been studying this um, very thoroughly since 2013 when a, a, a church that is side A, those are the three sides that you see on the screen, A, B, X, uh, tried to hire me, sort of. Side A says this, God's best is a long-term monogamous relationship with whoever. Side B says that God's best is identify however you need to because dysphoria is real. And Genesis 1 teaches us to not be surprised that people have different desires. All the letters, LGBTQIA, Genesis 1 would teach us, don't be, why would that surprise you? The fall is incredibly powerful, but, so identify however you need, side B, but you are called to holiness, which means sex require, sexual activity needs the guardrails of a covenant made before God and witnesses. Dave Simpson is a longtime elder here and lived a side B life. He would have told you, he passed away a few years ago, he would have told you that he had the gift of celibacy and it was a gift that did not feel like a gift. And he always laughed. And as a delightful man, his in, in, intellectually, he explored side A and B and X, but his life was an entire testimony to Jesus is Lord. Those of you that knew him know that to be true. Side X says you are not to identify as anything other than a follower of God. It's sin. The Presbyterian Church in the USA that we left in 2006, from 2006 to 2008 is very much side A. Presbyterian Church of the United States. The EPC, our denomination, is side B and has redone all of our letter, our, our pastoral letter and our position paper on sexuality. And the PCA, which is the um, denomination I studied under, their, their seminaries in St. Louis, is debating side X right now. Today, there's a conference going on in Austin called Revoice. And it's people that do not identify as hetero who want to worship together and live a side B life, holy before God as they understand it. And one of their speakers is a PCA pastor, and the whole denomination is trying to figure out if it's okay that he says, I am a gay Christian. And part of the reason that we actually need the sides is because the scariest thing to a person who does not have hetero desire or inclination, however you want to call it, is to not know. To enter into a, a, a denomination or a church and to not know which side is actually scarier than if you take A or B or X. They can handle those distinctions. They have their whole life because of dysphoria that some of you experience, disorientation, however we want to call it.
Do you have family that identify as different? I do. Do you have friends? I do. What do we offer them? Friendship. We learn how to say, I love you, and nothing will ever change that. And when you're willing and able, tell me more about this. And over time, let's seek the Lord and his wisdom together. Those of you that are uh, emotionally wired can tell how heavy of a topic this is, in my opinion. But I do not want to shy away from the teachings of Scripture that are, again, comprehensive. God doesn't only save us. He guides us into lives of life. He guides us away from the kingdom of darkness into his kingdom, which has to do with everything. Our thoughts, our emotions, our actions, our words, our relationships. The church needed cleansing of tolerance and sin as their witness suffers. Somebody in the church was suing someone else in the church. And the church in Corinth was probably about this size, or that size, or that size. And this is where the Christian life gets a little bit basic. If you're a member of this church, and I find that you're suing someone else in the church, I'm going to beg you to stop. And if you say, no, I'm going to bring some elders and say, can we, can we try and work this out? Not only because we're supposed to be able to work out disagreements, but also because the world is watching. And we are to be a unique community that can actually talk about hard things and continue to grow and love one another. For Paul, these things are linked. Literal idols were all over Corinth as in, as in other images of gods that people would worship. Idolatry is also a metaphor that we understand like we rely too much on our 401k or too much on the success of our children. This can become something that we're leaning on and expecting to deliver in ways that it can't. Immorality and greed. Paul sees all these as linked and as a problem that needs to be handed over to the Lord through repentance. He uses very harsh language to get their attention. They were living as though sin is an interesting concept, maybe. And Paul's saying, no, it's real. It violates the holiness of God. It harms those in community, and it's harmful to you whatever kind of sin that it is. He says to them, why not be defrauded? For the sake of the witness of the church, it would be better for you, for your 401k to take a hit than to successfully sue another Christian. That's going to be challenging. And I know that in business, there are times that that will become necessary because our, our law and business systems well, they exist actually to protect those things in some measure. I'm not talking about whether a business has ever had to sue another one. I'm talking about you and the people in this room that you call brother and sister. 
a very large part of your witness is how you treat the men and women here and how you talk about them. The church needed cleansing of their tolerance and sin as their witness suffers because they don't know who they are. In chapter 6, Paul says, six times, do you not know? And he's moving into a section that, that I didn't actually get to study as much as I wanted to, where I believe he's confronting some members of the church who were, who were doing what they used to do before they were Christians, which was visiting uh, prostitutes. And his language is so gentle compared with the stepson and the woman, and so gentle compared with the one who's suing, but he says over and over and over, do you not know? Because that is the heart of the gospel, and it is the engine of us maturing in faith, is first learning and then remembering the good news and all that it implies and all of the ways that it applies to our life. And when he says, do you not know? Your bodies are members of Christ. Do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Do you know this text? If all of that was new about sexual immorality, then you got some reading to do. So do I. And if you do know, do you remember? If you know the gospel and its teachings, do you remember them? I believe one of the most profound activities available to Christians is to learn and then remember, remind themselves through continual study, through conversation with other Christians, through prayer, what they believe to be true. and then live that truth. The righteousness of God is not an idea to be considered on, Sunday, on Sundays. It is a life of life to be lived. That is, I believe, the only opportunity for you to have actual peace and joy in this life. Similarly, Sin is not a concept just to be considered on Sundays. It is a wildly destructive, tempting way to do life. Apart from God, in violation of community, and also harmful to ourselves. And so perhaps if you're a follower of Jesus, the most profound thing that we do on Sundays and then receive the empowering of it is to remember who you are in Christ. Verse 11, again from chapter 6, you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Which is good news. Would you pray with me? Father, we trust you and ask that you help us to trust you. You are patient and kind and ask that you remind us of that 
as constantly as we can receive. Jesus, we are so thankful for your work that washed, sanctified, and justified us. And we long to carry your name with honor in our minds and hearts and in our lives with the people you've put into our lives. Holy Spirit, we know that you will never leave us or forsake us. Help us to receive that comfort and be empowered and enlivened with the joy and peace that accompanies it. Amen.